I don't sing, but I dance. But that's, yeah, yeah. But that's not why you're all here, right? So, so. If I start dancing, you should all leave. Before we start, I want to introduce some people who are just so gracious to come hear me speak. My dentist. You invited your dentist? We're like this. Doc, doc, uh, Dr. Raymond Curry's been my dentist for 30-something years. Dr. Raymond, can you, uh, Dr. Curry, can you stand and introduce your family, please? Just so I don't mess up the names. Introduce your family, please. Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I invite people once in a while to, to come hear the message when I speak, and some of them are quite gracious, and they, they come out. But they never come back. You know, apart from my family and my father-in-law, so I'm thinking, either it's my preaching or it's you guys. You guys do something afterwards. I think it's you guys. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we lift up this half hour to you, Lord Father, that you would bless us, that we may bless you, that we may glorify you, that we may, that we may rejoice in your word and the understanding of the truth. Open our eyes and our hearts to what you're about to tell us, Lord Father, that we may bring it home with us, that it may be forever within, within us. We pray this in the gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so here's one for you. Um, Italian millionaire and clothes designer, Gianni Versace was once asked in an interview if he believed in God. And he said, yes, I believe in God, but I'm not the kind of religious person who goes to church or who believes in that fairy tale of Jesus being born in a stable with a donkey. No, I'm not stupid. I can't believe that God, with all the power that he has, would have to have himself born in a stable. They wouldn't have been comfortable. What is that, right? What is that? If you didn't, obviously, if you didn't believe that Jesus would, wouldn't be born in the stable because it wouldn't be uncomfortable, he, obviously he doesn't believe in the crucifixion, right? Because if the birth in the stable is uncomfortable, Roman crucifixion, it might have hurt in his, in his point of view. Um, but you know, it's like what Stan said Thursday night, right? It hurts. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts us when we hear things like this, when we hear people talk about our Lord and our Savior like this. Right? He, he's our God. We understand what he's done for us. And when people just say things like this about him, it hurts. Let's turn to Scripture. Um, to the last Gospel written, which is John. That's right, thanks. Theologians believe that John's Gospel was the last one written. So turn with me, please, to John chapter 18. Fascinating conversation that we're all very familiar with between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. John 18, starting at verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own laws. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside to the palace. 
summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is not uh, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, then, Pilate said. Jesus said, You say that I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born and came into the world, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews. So there's the million-dollar question, right? If Pilate hadn't walked away, if Jesus had the opportunity to respond to Pilate's question, what is truth, what would Jesus have said? What would you say? If I gave you all a piece of paper and a pen and asked you to write down what you thought Jesus would have said to Pilate in response to the question, what is truth? I think if I gathered up all the papers and went, went through them and started snipping off things, whatever, you know, Calvinism and you know, the pre-tribulational rapture, I just threw a grenade in somebody's theology there. But anyways, I, I think after sifting through all this, we would get not different answers, but a varia- variation of all the same answers, right? So I want to share with you what I think what would be the irreducible minimum. If we cut off all the edges and come down to, to, to the, the common core, this irreducible minimum, I want to share with you what I think is the, the irreducible minimum of the truth, what Jesus would say to Pilate. Now these are Jesus' words, so if you don't agree with me, you can take it up with him after. So. Turn to John 18, please. John 18, oh sorry, John 5. John 5, verses 24 and 25. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I'm going to read verse 24 again. Listen for the two imperatives and then, and, and then the three, uh, three results. Very truly, I tell to you, number one, whoever hears my word and two, believes in him who sent me has eternal life, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death. To life. This is what I believe is the irreducible minimum of the truth of why Jesus came. Let's just pick this apart a bit. This, the very truly, in the New American Standard Bible, I think it says, um, truly, 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 in the King James Version, it's verily, verily. In the New King James Version, it's most assuredly. Right? This is the, the amen, amen, I say unto you. The amen coming from the Hebrew word emes. It means truth, truthfulness. 
faithfulness, trustworthy. So Jesus is saying true and trustworthy, faithfulness. So when Jesus starts a statement with this, we should perk up and listen, right? Because we know that what he's about to say is very important. Everything Jesus says is important. But this, normally when Jesus starts a statement with this, he's talking about um, critical ideas about salvation, about eternal life. Or he's about to say something about um, the future, the end times, prophecy, what is about to happen. Very truly, whoever, this is the whoever, the whoever, um, the he who, and the they who, they who, who hear me, the two imperatives, who hear me and believe. This here, um, it's action, action word, right? It's a initial hearing with a continual hearing. This would be like the hearing in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The call to listen, and then the call to obedience. What's the next verse? What's the greatest commandment, Jesus says? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? So that's the process. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus is saying the same thing here. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words. Initial response, continual response. Whoever hears my words, and then the call to obedience, uh, hears my words, and believes him who sent me. So we're called to hear, we're called to believe. This belief is a... um, Present active participle, same thing, to the initial act of believing and the continual act of believing in Jesus. Right? Christianity is not just a simple prayer that we said 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Christianity is a continual belief. And belief in the Father through the Son. This is believing in Jesus. This is the Greek word EIS, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it means believing into. Having faith. Trusting. It's like if Dave Jenkinson came, uh, came, uh, Dave Jenkinson came to me and wanted, to be invest, wanted me to invest some money with him. I believe in Dave because I see him. He's right here in front of me with a little butterball in his hands. But for me to invest, to give him something that's worth something to me, for me to invest in him, I want to believe into him. I want to be able to trust him. I want to be able to have faith in him. So that's what Jesus is saying. Hear my words and believe in the Father by trusting in me. By having faith in me. By having faith in who I am, in what I say. Right? This is what Jesus tells the apostles, right? Uh, if you have seen, the, who, whoever has seen the Father has seen me. You have believed in God, believe also in me. So, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears me and hears my words, 
And here's the three results. Have eternal life, are not judged, and crossed over from death to life. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Jesus is talking about people who are alive, but he's calling them dead. I think we really need to take note of that. If God, if Jesus himself, is looking at the world and says, you're dead, that's a scary thought. And that's truth. Listening to CBC Radio just last week, and there was an, uh, I just caught part of the in, uh, interview, but a woman was interviewing um, an author, and he was writing a book. I'm not really sure what it's about, but for his research, he spent one week at Angola Prison. That's the Louisiana State Penitentiary. They have the death penalty. It's life, uh, 90% of the guys there are, life, uh, are lifers. At one point, it was the most dangerous prison in North America. Most numbers of murders. Then in 19, 1995, a man named Burl Cain came along and became the, the new warden, a Christian. And he dramatically changed his penitentiary. Decreased the violence, decreased the amount of deaths, and he introduced Christian outreach. So in this, in this CBC uh, interview, they're, uh, they're talking about this, and the woman interviewing asked the man, um, they're saying, you know, in this prison, Christianity is being forced down their throats. You know, do you really believe in redemption of these guys who are in prison? You know, they've done some horrible things, some of them on death row. Do you really believe that they can be redeemed? <clears throat> and the guy kind of paused, and he said, you know, in, in this situation... Where they are, they're going to be spending the rest of their life, 20, 30, 40, whatever years, they're going to die there. That's all they know. They have no hope. So for them to cling to this idea that perhaps they will be forgiven, that they will have eternal life, that they will cross from death to life, though it's a a false hope, it's unreal, at least for them, it's something. And the woman interviewing said, This is the clincher. She said, yeah, I guess it's the lesser of two evils. Calling Christianity evil. Calling the the, the death, the the gospel of Jesus Christ evil. That hurts, Dan, right? Big time. Christ is not evil. Christ is the reason, evil is the reason that Christ came into the world, Right? You know, Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God in the beginning. Perfect. God looked back and saw everything was good. I created man and woman in my image, that they may have perfect fellowship with one another, that they may have perfect fellowship with me. And he placed them in the garden. The garden temple, I'm going to call it. Because the temple is, right, where God comes to dwell with man. And we read that in Genesis 3. God was walking in the garden, this garden temple. I believe that that God's intent was for the whole world to be his temple. Right? He said to Adam and Eve, go forth, multiply, expand the garden, make the whole world my temple where I will come and dwell with you. Actually, I know this is a fact because I cheated. I read the back of the book and that's how the story ends. But evil was present. Evil was present in the form of a serpent. And he came to deface and defile and derange the Word of God, 
the character of God and the name of God. Or did I say it? Character? Yeah. So. And he came to throw mankind into disobedience by deceiving, uh, by de- deceiving Eve. Adam's pride grew and his disobedience and mankind fell from that wonderful position of the dominion they had over God's creation and fell from that wonderful position of fellowship with God. We have now what's called interrupted fellowship. You know, that brings, brings you to, to Romans chapter 5, right? Sorry, let me read that just so, so I don't get it wrong. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're all very familiar with that um, powerful statement Paul says that Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death entered the world through sin, and this way death came to all people because all sinned. Let me read that again. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, right, Adam's act of disobedience, and death entered the world through sin, right, because the day you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. And this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. Death came to all because all sinned. Like, what is that, Paul? Paul goes on to explain that you know, there's five main points here that he's talking about when he says the result of one man's disobedience is all were made sinners, judgment followed, death entered the world, death came to all, and death reigned. Death had dominion over all people. All made sinners, all judged, all died. So what theologians call involuntary condemnation. And it just doesn't sound fair, does it? That through one man's act of disobedience, we're all made sinners and we all die. So we don't stand a chance, do we? Where's our hope? Like, like in that interview, they have no hope. Where's our hope? Our hope is in the Lord. I don't know if it takes longer to, to use the iPad or they're flipping back and forth. but This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful, uh, faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her for public uh, disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. There's the verse we're looking for. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through his prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. There's our hope. Actually, that hope, the hope actually began right in the beginning, right in the garden, right after the fall. What did Jesus say to, serpent, uh, to, to the serpent? <laughs> there will be, I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. He shall strike your head. You shall bruise his heel. 
Right there, right at the beginning. There's the promise of a redeemer. There's the promise of, of, of a sacrifice. Sacrifice for the sin of mankind. So we come back to Romans chapter 5 then, where Paul was talking about what we call this involuntary condemnation. Paul also, in those verses, talks about a gift, a free gift from God, the grace of God. And Paul here also gives five points. He said, the result of one man's act of obedience, there was, there was Adam's act of disobedience, now we have Jesus' act of obedience, obedience to the point of death, even the death of a cross. God's grace through Jesus overflowed to all. Justification, imputed righteousness was brought to many. Eternal life was brought to many. Many will reign through life, and grace reigns through righteousness. Okay, let's put this in the context of John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles open, turn to John chapter 3 with me. Okay, so we're talking about uh, condemnation. We're talking about life. John chapter 3, starting at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, there's that word again we talked about earlier, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness, not only chose, not only like, people love darkness, sorry, love my, uh, instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear of the, for the fear their deeds will be exposed. Okay, so let's bring, bring this all together now. So we have uh, uh, the condemnation, right? Coming through, coming through Adam to all world, the whole, the whole world, all sin, all died. But now we have this gift of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, and whoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not be condemned. So if life, eternal life, is a choice. If it's voluntary, whoever believes shall have eternal life, well then death itself is voluntary, isn't it? You can choose life or you can choose death. So now death and condemnation is no longer unfair. That's Ezekiel 18, right? Israel, you say that my way is unfair, but isn't your way that's unfair? If you repent... Get yourself a new spirit. Get yourself a new heart. Will you then not be saved? I have no pleasure in a sinner that dies. It's not my ways that are unfair. It is your ways. Therefore, repent, turn, and live. So what is truth? Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
will not be judged as crossover from death to life. So contrary to what Gianni Versace believes, God, with all his power, was born in a stable. He came to Bethlehem to die at Calvary. He died on a cross. On the same day, he was buried in a tomb. Three Jewish calendar, three Jewish calendar days later, he was resurrected. Spent 40 days on earth witnessing to his apostles and the hundreds of disciples and was resurrected on a cloud of glory to heaven. And now we wait for his second coming. We have that hope of his second coming. When, he, when with, with a loud trumpet, he will send forth his angels to gather up his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other, And then we will meet the Lord in the air and we shall forever be with the Lord. And then there's that glorious day we read about in Hebrews chapter 2 where it says that the Lord will stand in the midst of his brethren, in the midst of his brothers and sisters, and then he will turn to the throne of God and say, Father, here I am and the children whom you have given me. I think that deserves an hallelujah. If you ask me, bring your earplugs because it's going to be loud. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a day is that, is that going to be? And all because the Lord was obedient, came forth to be born in the manger and suffer for us. I want to leave you with a prayer request. Um, Gianni Versace was murdered outside his Florida home in 1995. And going by this interview, I really don't think he's in glory. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16, right? About the rich man who dies and is in torment. And he pleads for Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers who are still alive that they may know the truth about this place of torment. That they may repent and not come there where he is. Giovanni Versace has a sister named Donatella. And I believe that Giovanni in his state of torment right now is pleading for someone to go to his sister that she may know the truth, that she may repent, that she may not go to this place where he is. So here's my prayer request for you. On your Christmas list, on your Christmas list of people that you're praying for, please add Donatella Versace, that the Lord would send somebody to her, that the Lord would send somebody to the people who we know who are dead in their sins, who do not believe, who do not have eternal life, who, who are condemned, who have not crossed over from death to life. Let's pray for them this Christmas season. Give glory to the Lord for our salvation, but our work here is not done. He sent out his apostles with the great commission. Go forth, make disciples, and baptize. And that should be our goal this Christmas and always. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how can we say thanks for the things you have done for us? The voices of a million angels cannot express our gratitude. All that we are and everything you've done for us, we owe it all to you. Lord Father, help us to take this message, this message of this wonderful gift
of the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, Father, bury it in our hearts. Keep it in our hearts and let it come forth through our, through our mouth, Lord, Father, that we may proclaim this truth. The truth that whoever believes in him, whoever hears the word, has eternal life, will not be judged, and has crossed over from death to life. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.